Let me welcome those of you that are joining us online. We are so glad uh, that you're joining us for our study here today, as well as our friends at First Baptist Church in Arco, Idaho, and also our friends at Purpose Church in Kalispell, Montana. We are so glad that you're joining us here uh, today as well. Uh, Today we are finishing up our Reconnect series, and it's a six-week series, six-part series. The first three weeks, we talked about friendships and technology. And then a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Eric preached on being married. Last Sunday, I preached on being single. And today, uh, Pastor Eric is going to talk about parenting. And I'm going to kind of, he's going to spend most of the time talking about parenting. And then I'm going to finish up with kind of a PS at the end, talking about grandparenting and how some of these same principles apply to us as grandparents. So the title of our study today is Three Generations. That is our generation, and then Eric is going to talk about, uh, take most of our time to talk about how to reconnect with the second generation through parenting, and even the children of our church family. We all have a spiritual responsibility, just like we just said, uh, through child dedication. And then I'm going to kind of put a PS on his message and talk about how to reconnect with the third generation, the generation after the generation after our generation, as a grandparent or as a spiritual grandparent who has spiritual responsibility uh, for the children and young adults within our church family to, like a relay baton, to pass the gospel on generation to generation until uh, Jesus comes back. So, hey, this week, um, I was doing some research. Uh, I was Googling uh, the United States Postal Service, as many of you probably were this week when you were Googling. Um, you're doing some research, and, and I was trying to find out kind of what are the different options in terms of sending a package, sending some kind of delivery, and, and the United States Postal Service offers a bunch of different options. They offer ground shipping. They offer retail shipping. They offer uh, media package shipping. They even offer, offer first-class shipping, but then kind of at the, at the upper echelon, at the highest level, they offer something called priority mail. I mean, this costs a lot. You have to really, really desire for this package to get there as quickly as possible. And this package has to be so important to you in order to pay for priority mail. And as I was reading about their uh, priority mail, this description came up. Priority Mail, delivering seven days a week. Priority Mail Express is our fastest domestic service for time-sensitive letters. I was thinking about how many times we've packaged up something and we've written our names up here and the person that we're delivering it to right here and, and we've bought in one of these packages that say handle with care. We have no idea if the guy's just like kicking it. We don't know, but we write, you know, we have handle with care because this package means so much to us. And as I was reading the description, I thought about priority mail is that message that seven days a week, no matter what, you want to send it because it is so time sensitive. It is so important to you that it's worth whatever it costs. And as I was thinking about that in relationship to parenting, I began to ask myself the question, you know, there's different ways to parent. There's, there's parenting based out of convenience. I mean, what's just the easiest decision right in front of me? There, there's parenting based out of options that, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to parent and give my kids as many options as humanly possible, but maybe there's a better way to parent. Maybe there's another way to parent. Maybe there's priority parenting. If you were to think about your kids, whether they're grandkids or your own kids, if they're little or if they're in junior high or high school or if they're even beyond, what would be that message that you would want to send them? 
That seven days a week, you want to make sure your kids understand that you believe it to be so time sensitive because you know that the days and the hours are counting down until that kid moves out of your house. And so you recognize, man, I have a message that I want to give to my kids. What would that be? In fact, I want to ask you this question. This is a question I've been reflecting on this week. If I were to ask my kids, what is my priority for you? Would I like their answer? If I were to ask my kids, hey, guys, what is dad and mom's priority for you? Would I be okay with their answer? Would you be okay with their answer? When it comes to priority parenting, I'm preaching the choir because at Purpose Church, we have some of the most phenomenal parents and it shows up in their kids all the time. And I just got to brag about our students. Um, Yesterday, our students woke up way too early and made a commitment and a decision to serve the city of Pomona. And so maybe you didn't know this, but yesterday was Pomona Beautification Day where uh, organizations from all around the city gathered together to beautify Pomona. And so our students spent the first half of the day beautifying Pomona and then the second half of the day, actually handing out water bottles, sharing the gospel, and praying for people. And it was so incredible. These are some of our students um, doing some mulch lane, whatever that means. Um, this is Joseph. I don't know if Joseph's parents are here. Um, but uh, Joseph was in the median divider. It's a little dangerous, but we watched him. He was okay. Um, we can keep going to the next photo. This is the one I wanted to show you. Uh, Councilman Robert Torres, who is the son of uh, our Congresswoman, Norma Torres, he posted He posted thanking everyone who had participated and he specifically mentioned Purpose Church. How cool is that? That the city knows, the city knows that Purpose Church, that Purpose Church deeply cares about this place and wants to make an impact. But as we're thinking about parenting, as we're thinking about this, maybe some of you are are saying, well, you know, I don't even have any kids. And maybe you eventually see yourself having kids. My hope is what we talk about today would inspire you to prioritize your parenting. Or maybe you're going, no, I'm not going to have kids or our kids are already grown up. Well, here's the beauty of this big idea that God spends a ton of time in scripture communicating is that when you surrender your life to Jesus, you become two things. Number one, a citizen of heaven. This means that before you have any other citizenship, you are a citizen of the kingdom of God that reorients and reprioritizes is everything about your life. And at the same time, you get a seat at the table in the family of God. This means that you're no longer just connected to the people who raised you or the people who you spent a lot of holidays with, but you are connected to a global, diverse, multi-generational body of Christ. And you know what this means? Is that there are students in this room right now and there are students all around this campus who are serving and who are a part of this church. And it is our job, it is our job, not just as parents, but as spiritual parents, not just as grandparents, but as spiritual grandparents to make an investment, to prioritize our time by pouring into their lives. Well, a a little while ago, Sarah and I began a marriage counseling and we just wanted to go to to be able to talk some stuff out and and to make sure we're doing well. And so um, we've been going to this marriage counseling. I remember he said, well, what are some things that you guys want to work on? And we said, well, we'd love to work on some of our parenting and making sure that we're on the same page and, and making sure that our family life is a priority. And he said, that's awesome. But here's what I want you to do. Before you go out and say what you want to do, before you guys come up with a list of all the different strategies and what kind of parents you want to be, he said, I want you to first have this very critical conversation. He said, I want you to ask the question, why? 
Don't start with what, start with why. Because he said families who, for whatever reason, decide to make a list of what it is that they want to do and what they want their kids to become, that if they don't have an emotional buy-in on the front end, if they don't really answer the question why, and this is true for parents or grandparents, spiritual parents, spiritual grandparents, if you haven't answered the question why, I mean, why is it so important to you that you get this message to your kids or your grandkids seven days a week? Why is it important to have a kind of parenting style that prioritizes the right things and is willing to let go of the other things. Why is that important? And before we jump into what those three priorities are, maybe, maybe there's some of you who, who your parents and oftentimes you feel like me and you go, I, I'm just overwhelmed already. I, mean, I, I, can't, I can't think of handling another thing. We have to have another conversation about being intentional with our parents. I don't even know what that looks like. Well, maybe, just maybe today could actually simplify parenting for you. Does anyone like to eat at Cheesecake Factory? Do we have any cheese, big, big, big Cheesecake Factory people here? I'm, I'm into Cheesecake Factory, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. You know what I hate about Cheesecake Factory? Is that menu. I mean, it's an encyclopedia. You know what I mean? I mean, you're page after page after page. You're like, I haven't made it past the appetizers. I mean, this is crazy right now, right? And sometimes I think our parenting is kind of like Cheesecake Factory. We're just throwing every single option that we can at our kids. At every new opportunity that comes in, we say, yes, 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 yes. Well, what if, what if parenting was a little less like Cheesecake Factory and a little, more, a little bit more like in and out right? When I said in and out right there, you didn't have to think, oh man, what do they serve there? You know exactly what they serve there because in and out has prioritized what it is that they do. Well, priority number one that I want to talk about, what's, what's that priority? If you were going to have priority parenting, if that was going to be your strategy, what would priority number one would be? It would be this, Jesus over everything else, Jesus over everything else. And I actually have my mother-in-law sitting up here. Um, Sally, will you come up? I'm just kidding. I'm not going to call you up. I didn't tell her that. That would have been funny. Um, I have my mother-in-law, Sally, here, and I think about Sally, and I think about my own mom, Vicky, and these are two incredible women who they got this right who they got this right, that they prioritized Jesus over everything. I want to show you in, in uh, Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, he says this, Parents, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. What does that word exasperate? It can mean a lot of things. It can mean, it can mean losing, your, uh, losing your, your frustration on your kids, losing your temper, becoming really angry, lashing out at your kids, yelling. It could mean all of that. It could mean being distant and, and causing them anguish and pain, but maybe, maybe it could also mean you overcommitting your kids. Maybe one of the ways we exasperate our kids is actually by overcommitting them. And what I love about Paul is he doesn't say, avoid, he doesn't just say avoid this. He says, here's the priority. Here's priority number one. Parents, if you want to know what it looks like to win as a parent, it is first and foremost this priority, training and instructing your kids in the way of the Lord. I mean, we're going, what does training and instructing mean? Maybe think about these two questions. When it comes to training, how can we put our faith into action? So I go running sometimes um, with this guy uh, who, I, who I live near. And um, we go running at times. And, and I'm always over at his house. And I would much rather just like have a conversation and just like talk with him. And I literally try to distract him or, or really like slow him down. But he's like, no, we got to run. We got to run. And so we go running for a little while. And it happens every time he goes, I run. And then I'm like, this is what a heart attack feels like. You know what I mean? Like. This is, it's happening to me. It's happening to me. And I'll literally stop and I'll be like, 
hey, Andrew, I got to pray. You know what I mean? I just got to pray or something. I just make up some excuse for why I'm about to die. And he continues to run. He will run, like come back and he checks up on me, right? He'll run, come back and check up on me. What he's teaching me is that we can't just talk about running. That, that's not enough. We have to train. We have to put it into action. I want to challenge you parents. What does it look like for you to give you and your family opportunities to practice your faith? What would it look like to say, we are going to train as a family in what it means to prioritize Jesus and to share the gospel and to be about the kingdom? What would that look like for you as a family to be praying for other families, to be sharing your faith, to be serving together? What could that look like? And then when it comes to instructing, how has Jesus changed your life? Parents, let me give you a quick tip. Before you run in to just teach your kids all of the Bible verses that are so important for them to know, absolutely, share with them how Jesus has actually shown up in your life. Tell them how Jesus has actually made a significant difference in your life because that is going to be the question they will continue to ask themselves over and over again is, is Jesus really worth following? I mean, is he really powerful? Has he really done things in the world in, in, in my parents' lives? And so asking this question and then teaching them about Jesus, reading the scriptures together, talking about them. Uh, Deuteronomy 6 talks a lot about impressing the word of God on your children's hearts, painting it on your door frames, bringing it up all the time and having those very significant conversations. I remember a week ago or so, I was having lunch with uh, a new parent in our high school ministry, and, and their boys are about to transition up, and so they wanted to get together with me to just hear about our ministry and to get to know each other, and so we sat down for lunch, and we were in this very crowded place, and as we were talking, I asked the dad, I said, what is your dream for your boys? What, what's, your, what's your heart's desire for your kids? And in this public place, he started crying, just started crying. I was like, hold it together, bro. You know what I mean? Like, we're, we're in a public place right now. It was so moving, you guys. It was so beautiful. He starts crying. And he said, Eric, I just want them to know Jesus. Like, I just really, really want them to know Jesus. To me, that guy's got emotional buy-in. That guy has his priority right at number one, that Jesus over everything. Priority number two, confession over perfection. Confession over perfection. James chapter five, verse 16 says this. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. James here is talking about physical healing, but I think he's also talking about emotional healing. I think he's talking about relational healing. I think he's talking about familial healing. And he says the key to that is becoming a family that, who, that, that's main goal, main purpose and focus is not perfection, is not getting everything right all the time, but on being a house where confession is freely accepted and expected and desired. My, my wife says this to our kids a lot. She says, we are a house of confession, not perfection. We are a house of confession, not perfection. I want to share a quote with you from uh, Dana Boyd. Dana Boyd um, was interviewed by the Fuller Youth Institute, and and the conversation was actually recorded in this book, which if if you're a parent, I would just so strongly recommend this book. It's called Right Click, Parenting Your Teenager in a Digital Media World. And what's so awesome about this book is it's not anti-technology or social media. It actually helps equip you parents to have conversations with your kids, not just to set up rules and guidelines, but to actually have meaningful conversations. And 
And Dana says it this way. When it comes to talking with young people, the key is to get beyond the technology and get to the root of what's happening. It starts by neither fearing technology nor presuming it to be the center of everything. It's simply that which mirrors and magnifies everyday life. For those of you that are parents or grandparents or spiritual parents and spiritual grandparents... That there is a culture growing up of kids who have access to technology and social media like never before. And I love what Dana says. She says that it literally mirrors and magnifies what's actually going on in their hearts. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what your family would look like if there was openness and transparency? Or maybe this, parents. Maybe. Maybe the the vulnerability and the conversations that you're desiring to have with your kids would happen if you would lead out. If you would be the first to say, hey, you know what? I don't have it all together. I talk to adults all the time who tell me about their childhood and and tell me about how they held their parents in such high esteem, but they saw brokenness in their stories and their parents were never willing to apologize, never willing to admit they didn't have it all together and it damaged them. And if their parents had only said, I'm sorry, it would have changed everything. Which is why when Charlie was only three months old, he's my oldest son, when Charlie was only three months old, I remember he was in the bassinet laying next to us and he just started screaming. I mean, we had been up at all hours of the night and it was just awful. And I remember just in my bed, I was, Charlie, what are you doing? Like, I need eight hours. You know, he's just screaming. And then it hit me like seconds later, I was like, that's not cool. This is not Charlie's fault. This is my problem. So I walked over to my three-month-old little son and I was like, Charlie, This is going to happen a lot in your life, buddy. So let's just get used to it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for dropping the ball. You see, what would it look like if your homes, if your parenting was prioritized by confessing to each other and sharing your shortcomings and walking the journey of life together? And number three, lastly, priority number three, understanding over disengaging. Paul, uh, in, in Ephesians chapter four, two to three, he says this, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Verse three, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. How do you go about becoming a family that that is able to bear with one another? I think it's having a posture of understanding. I think it's saying, you know what, my job as a parent right now in this moment is not to try to fix everything, but it's to try to understand what's going on. The fixing conversations come second. The primary conversations are, how do I need to understand what is going on in my kid, in my teenager's lives? I think some of you, um, you know, some of you remember the book Lord of the Flies. Maybe you read that as a kid or you read that growing up. Um, Lord of the Flies is such an interesting book because basically there's a scene where the, the plane crashes and all of these kids are on this island all by themselves to parent themselves, to figure out life by themselves. And you read it and you go, that is an absolute disaster. That is a horrible idea. A group of kids all by themselves with no parents, no authorities, no leadership around them. That is going to be a disaster. And it absolutely does become that in the book. And yet, when it comes to parenting our kids in regards to technology and social media, we are doing just that. Where a lot of parents have backed off and said, I just don't understand Instagram. I don't understand Snapchat. I, I, I don't get how this iPhone thing works. Here you go, figure it out. And what you've done is you've allowed your kids to enter into this world 
that can be painful, that can be challenging, that can be really inspiring and great, or could ruin their self-esteem, and you said, I'm going to go ahead and back off, and you have chosen to disengage. Well, I think parents who have a priority, they say, you know what, my job is to understand. And maybe some of you are thinking about that whole phone conversation, you're like, how do we handle that? Um, Pastor Adrian, our junior high pastor, he created something called the cell phone contract. The cell phone contract. Now, all the students in the room are like, we hate you, Eric. Like, we hate you. But I'm telling you, I'm doing this because because I love you. I think this is such an awesome idea where a family, where parents and kids make an agreement together of what it's going to look like to have cell phones, to have devices in the house. And in fact, we have a bunch of other resources that we want to give to you parents and grandparents. You can email students at purposechurch.com and we'll send you some of the best stuff that we have. I want to share some stats with you. And these stats might kind of alarm you, but I think they're good for us to hear together. Let's go to those stats. 71% of teens say they hide online activity from their parents. Let me talk to the teenagers in the room for a minute. 71%, that's a really high number. And the reason we highlighted the word hide is because from the very beginning in Genesis chapter three, when sin enters the story of the world and Adam and Eve sin, they don't go running to God, but they hide. This is what sin always tells us to do is run and hide, run and hide. And if this is true, if this stat is true, then there's a lot of things that we need to confess. Then there's a lot of things that we need to share with each other. If you have a Finsta account or a Sinsta account, right? Fake Insta, spam Insta. If you have those, I wanna challenge you, give that up. Give that up. If you can't be one person on one social media outlet, if you have to have all these different personalities, that's not healthy, right? That's not good. Give that up and say, I'm going to be the one person that God has called me to be. 50% of teens say they are addicted to their mobile devices. And last time I checked, addictions are never a good thing, right? That never leads to anything good. Teens spend nine hours a day on a screen. And they found that teens who spend two hours a day on social media are more likely to experience anxiety and, and, and unhappiness. Now, here's the thing. I use social media a lot. I love it. I love it. I think technology is awesome. But I think there's a flip side to it. I think it can be dangerous. I work with students all the time and I see the, the anxiety and depression and unhappiness rates raising and raising and raising. In fact, I was reading one, one author who said, we are on the verge of an adolescent mental health epidemic. And this isn't the only reason why, but to fool ourselves and think this isn't contributing to it would be crazy. So families, with this kind of information, what does it look like to help, to help understand one another? Rather than trying to just fix everything, how can we begin to understand and speak some of the same language? But here's the problem. More is caught than is taught, right? More is caught than is taught. Back in the day, maybe a few years ago, it was parents looking at kids and saying, man, why are they always on their phones? And yet nowadays, nowadays what we're seeing more and more is parents and kids are on their phone the same amount. In fact, I want to share some of these stats with you. 54% of kids feel their parents check their mobile devices too much. And 32% of kids feel unimportant when their parents are distracted by their devices. With such limited time and with a focus on priority parenting, we can't miss this. And some of you may be feeling convicted and challenged. And let me just prove to you I'm the biggest sinner in the room. I was at my kids uh, at Charlie's soccer game uh, a week ago. And I got there late and I had a lot of stuff to do. I had some texts and some emails and I was going through it and I was standing right by him and cheering him on and doing this. And, and at the end of the game, Sarah pulled me aside and being the amazing wife that she is, she pulled me aside and she said, hey, Eric, I just wanna let you know, like three or four times, Charlie looked up from his position as the goalie to see if you were watching him and you were just staring at your phone. 
How many minutes, how many moments, how many opportunities are we missing because we're settling for less because we aren't prioritizing our parenting? I want to share this other quote with you. There there was this guy named Carlos who was a part of our church uh, for a while and then they moved away. and, And one time he shared this with me. He had little kids as well. He said, I listen and talk now so they will listen and talk later. Parents, when you're driving in the car with your kids, Don't miss those opportunities to have great conversations, to listen to what they have to share, to talk with them so that in the years to come, they will listen and they will talk to you. Parents, I wonder what it would look like for us to prioritize our parenting around the things that God would want us to prioritize them around. Well, as we invite Glenn up to to share with us about grandparenting, I wanted to share something that's really cool. Many of you already know this, but um, Pastor Glenn and Kimberly, they have six kids. They have eight grandchildren. There's some really exciting news that just came out of the Gunderson uh, dynasty, really, out of the the Gunderson family. There's there's some really exciting news that just came out. Um, Their daughter, Abby, she just became one of the youngest female congressional chiefs of staff in the history of the United States Congress, which is unbelievable, amazing. So from the pro himself. Oh, man, yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. No way. Uh, You know, when you were saying that, I was so convicted. By the way, aren't we glad we have Pastor Eric leading our young adults? My goodness. Um. I'm so convicted, though, because this happens for grandparents. You say, you know, the the parents are catching up with our uh, cell phone uh, distraction. Well, grandparents are, and sometimes we'll be watching one of our grandchildren, and uh, and I'll be checking my phone instead of looking at my grandchild, and I'll just be so convicted, like, are you crazy? You know, because they live far away, and so we get limited, you know, chances with them, and to think that we would take some of those precious moments. But it really is something to be challenged for every generation. And boy, thank you so much. I really needed that. Uh, I just want to wrap up with some comments about grandparenting, how all this specifically applies to grandparents, spiritual grandparents, because uh, all of us are that within the church family, and then also for those that have grandchildren. And I called it Operation Lois uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one, my mother's name is Lois, so I thought I'd call it Operation Lois because this is uh, Mother's Day. Here's a picture eventually of my uh, mom and dad on their wedding day in 1939. So as uh, Hitler was invading Poland, they were getting married, and my dad was later on in World War II and, and, and went, uh, served in Burma during the war. Uh, but the other, the main reason I want to call it Operation Lois is from this verse, 2 Timothy 1, verse 5. Paul, who was mentoring a younger pastor by the name of Timothy. So Paul, the older pastor, was mentoring the younger pastor, Timothy. He says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. So he had a grandmother who followed after God, and she passed on her faith to his mother Eunice, who passed on her faith uh, to Timothy. Three generations Uh, going on there. Now, our favorite English word here at Purpose Church is purpose, but our favorite Greek word is oikos, uh, the Greek word for household, uh, which means there are about 8 to 15 people in a Greek household and included people you worked with, people you went to school with, people that were in your extended family. Uh, That was called your household or your oikos. And so we talk about our 8 to 15 people in our sphere of influence, people we work with, people we go to school with, people in our neighborhood. And it certainly includes people in our family as well. 
And we talk often here at Purpose Church about how God's assignment to each one of us is to go to heaven and to take our oikos with us. And if everybody follows that assignment that every Christ follower is given, the entire world will be one for Christ. Uh, Big-time evangelists like Billy Graham, they're important, but that's not the main way the church has grown. 99% of Christ's followers have come to Christ by one beggar sharing with another beggar where to find food. Sharing within your oikos. Go to heaven and take your oikos with you. Well, certainly grandchildren are part of our oikos. And so God's assignment to us is to go to heaven and to take our oikos, including our grandchildren, with us to heaven as well. To pass on that faith like a relay baton to the next generation. The psalmist writes in Psalm 71, verse 17, Since my youth, God, you have taught me, and to this day I declare your marvelous deeds. Even when I am old and gray, or bald, I might add, do not forsake me, my God until I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. Lord, help me to hang on. I mean, it's interesting. I I pray for my health now, mainly for my children and grandchildren. I I kind of, you know, at this point in life and, and kind of avoiding some of those later years and some of the problems, it'd be kind of cool to go to heaven. But the main reason I want to hang in there is until I declare your power to my generation, to the next generation, generation number two, and your mighty acts to all who are to follow the third generation. Three generations. God, help us to pass it on to three generations, the second, third, and beyond until Christ returns. Now, how do we go about doing that? Well, let me give you just a really powerful example, but then I'm going to give you some that are kind of more easy to access. This first one is like the superstar of this. So let's not be intimidated by that. I'm going to give you some more easy-to-attain kind of ideas in just a moment. Uh, Dottie Milhan is my hero in this area. She was part of our church family for many years until she went home to be with Jesus just a few years ago. And I did her funeral. And at her funeral, this is what came out. Uh, During the last 13 years of her life, she read through the Bible cover to cover 13 times, one for each year. And she had three children and three son or daughter-in-laws, so three in-law children, so three plus three is six, plus seven grandchildren. And each year, she would read the Bible cover to cover with one of her grandchildren or one of her children or or her son and daughter-in-law in mind for that particular year. And she'd spend the entire year making notes and messages to that particular child or grandchild for the entire year, saying, you know, this, this is something, this promise in God's word is something I pray for you. Uh, this thing right here is something I would like to challenge you to do. This, this character trait of this person in the Bible reminds me of you. And she covered a Bible, cover to cover, in notes for that particular child or that particular grandchild, and then would give it to him at the end of the year. And she did that for 13 years. And Kimberly and I always thought, boy, that would be a cool thing to do someday. And all of a sudden, it dawned on me this weekend that the time is short. And if we were to do this, we'd have to start today and pray I live to age 80 to get all 18 done before, and who knows, it might even get worse than that. I have to have more years uh, to do it cover to cover. Now, that's just an awesome example. But let me give you some more manageable examples. If you look there in your program, would everybody pull out this 30 relationship building ideas for you and your grandchildren? 
and pull that out. And there are 30 just very concrete suggestions as to how you could go about doing this. And let me just say, not just for grandparents, but for parents as well. These, these are awesome suggestions for parents, but for grandparents as well, or for spiritual parents, or for spiritual grandparents. Uh, Proverbs 17, verse 6 Children's children are a crown to the aged. But this doesn't mean you just for those that had children or had grandchildren. I believe I would paraphrase that to say passing on your faith to the next generation, even if they are not biologically a part of your family, like Pastor Eric challenged us, they are theologically a part of our family. Uh, That's when we come to Christ. That's what he was just sharing. When we come to Christ, we become part of this broader family that goes beyond biology, beyond if they're adopted into our family, uh, legally, or biologically into our family, spiritually, passing on our faith to the next generation is a crown to the aged. This is what we ought to be uh, all about. And so if you don't have grandchildren or don't have children, uh, the spiritual grandparenting program is one of the most exciting here at Purpose Church that Pastor Eric started. And here you'll see some pictures from that where Pastor Eric assigns a high schooler to an older adult within our church family. And we are just about the most balanced generationally church of any church I've ever known. Most churches specialize in one generation. They're baby boomer churches or they're builder churches or they're millennial churches. Our church is the most evenly balanced between generations of just about any church that I know. So we have this opportunity to rub shoulders with each other to pass on our faith to the next generation. And here's Pastor Randy, our senior adult pastor, uh, speaking there to the group of these spiritual grandparents and, and the, the high schoolers that they have been assigned to. And I would encourage you to consider that. Second Timothy 2, verses 1 and 2. Uh, Paul writes again to Timothy, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And notice the four generations here. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses. So me, that's Paul, that's generation one. Timothy is you, That's the second generation. Entrust to reliable people, that's the third generation, who will also be qualified to teach others, that's the fourth generation. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a relay baton. And we are to pass this gospel, our faith, on uh, generation to generation, spiritually within our church family, or biologically, or with our adopted children, or grandchildren, within our uh, immediate family, We are to pass on. We are to be all about. That is to be our priority grandparenting, to go with the priority parenting, to pass on the gospel generation to generation like a relay baton from one runner to another until Jesus returns. And all God's family said, amen. Now, I want to close with my favorite video. And this time, I really mean it. This is my favorite video clip. Um, And and then Pastor Lisa is going to come and close us in prayer. Uh, after, after this clip. But the reason I love this video clip so very much is because the acting in it is just spectacular. I mean, it, it is Oscar-worthy. It is just one of the finest examples of acting that I've ever seen. So let's close with this. Since the dawn of church history, ministry leaders have been passing the baton to future generations. Some transitions are smooth. Others are not. Today, we're going to be talking about five classic examples of how churches pass the baton. One common mistake the churches make is that they never raise up another generation to pass the baton to in the first place. When they get to the end of their lap, 
there is no one there to receive the baton. Sometimes churches do raise up a new generation, but they have trouble passing the baton. They drop the baton in the process. This is due to lack of foresight and preparation, and the transfer fails. Sometimes when passing the baton, it is simply a matter of timing. It is not uncommon for the next generation to become impatient. This baby boomer is taking way too long. I want the baton now. Sometimes, too close. The previous generation isn't willing to give the baton up. But every so often, once in a while, the rarest of events transpires. A church passes the baton to the next generation with perfect form. So remember, always be a church that passes the baton well. Wow.